So get your free audio gift, The Three Pillars of Achieving Your Perfect Weight Using the Mind-Body Connection. Go to freefitnessaudio.com and enter your first name and email address, and we'll send that to you right away. Welcome, everyone, to the Healthy Mind Fit Body Podcast. This is episode number 42, and this is Kevin, and Wes is on the other line. Hey, Wes, how's it going? Pretty good, Kev. Pretty good. Yeah, you're surviving the summer of no summer. <laughs> yeah, the sun pokes out here where I'm in. I'm actually in from the coast a little ways, about, I guess, over five miles. Once you get past that point, you're pretty much out from under the clouds on the marine layer part of things. That is nice. Yeah. I have not seen the sun much this summer at all, and it's bumming me out. <laughs> and in fact, I'm, I'm so bummed out by it that I'm going to move to Texas because I know there's sun over there. Well, so you're going to move in the deep heat of Texas to get away from the clouds. That's true. Although I'm not actually moving. I'm going to spend two months in Austin. And uh, yeah, I'll be in the heat and humidity and I'll see how I do with that because that's that's a whole new thing for me. Deep in the heat of Texas. (laughs) That's right. And deep in the heart of Texas too. Yeah. There will be a lot of uh, barbecue food, I'm told. Barbecue. Yeah. Dude, that is definitely worth a trip over there because I like me some barbecue. Yeah. I lived in Dallas for a while. I went to SMU my first year in college and I got my taste of that stuff. Yeah, it is good stuff, but a lot of a lot of them are sugar laden. I mean they they just pile the sugar into that barbecue sauce. Do they? I don't think so. If you do the smoke barbecue, the hickory smoked, you gotta go to places like uh well Dickie's smokehouse. Okay. There was one of those in San Diego, but they folded. I guess people didn't like that Texas style. But I don't know any ones in Austin. I'm sure there's gotta be some that are just the smoky sort of barbecue sauce. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that. I, I went to barbecue there a couple times. Uh, one of them, they had a lot of the sweet stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was pretty good, though. It wasn't the sweet, you know, high-carb sauce that they put on everything. So Yeah, the traditional Texas barbecue shouldn't be sweet at all. Yeah, um, nice. And there might be some places you could find the dry rub. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But you can find the, uh, the sliced sausage and the brisket. They won't do a sweet barbecue sauce with a brisket. Yeah. And the one thing they can't do is Mexican food. That Tex-Mex is just something poor. Yeah, you kind of have to shop around for that stuff. Yeah, got to really search. Speaking of dry rub, we tore into a rack of ribs the other night, didn't we, with our friend Trevor? Yeah, yeah. I had about four or five of those things. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of had a celebratory paleo meal before we headed up to Michigan for a vacation. But uh, that was pretty tasty. So yeah, a rack of pork spare ribs and some asparagus. That pretty much did the job. That was it. And he used some uh, rosemary and a little bit of stevia, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of a dry rub on there. The rosemary went really well, though. Yeah. At Trader Joe's, you can buy some, I think they're called Marcona almonds. They're a little bit more expensive, but they're uh, flavored with rosemary and some sea salt. Oh, that's right. Those they are, are those tremendous. really good. Yeah, the rosemary and the almonds go together really well. Yeah. So what do we got here? We got some questions today, and mm-hmm. we've, been, we've been compiling questions from uh, listeners. So thanks, everyone, for responding to our request. We definitely got a lot, and we're getting uh, also a lot on the blog. So that's awesome to see that people are really interested in this stuff. Mm-hmm. We got some contrarians on your blog post about the China study, right? <laughs> yeah, if anyone wants to go and check it out, I wrote a, a blog post that was actually a comment on another blog post that was commenting on the China study. Mm-hmm. And I thought she had some, the person that I was writing about had some really good things to say. Yeah, Denise is her name? 
Denise Minger, right. And so I, I posted that and I agreed with her on you know most of what she was talking about. And yeah, I got some people that aren't so uh, big on the idea of not being vegan or vegetarian. Yeah, trying to stand up for those poor little animals and the bigger animals too. Yeah, yeah, that. And then just uh, people are convinced because a lot of people have had success going from the standard American diet to a vegetarian diet. And I don't doubt any of that. I I think that's definitely going to happen because they're improving their diet, but they're just not taking the next step, which is going, you know, a step further towards health. And so that's one thing these people don't understand. Very true. Yeah, the lifestyle of Paleolithic humans, as we've covered, was basically filled with lots of protein, and that came from animals. And wherever you stand on that moral issue, eating of animals, um, the domesticated animals that we have today wouldn't be alive. They wouldn't be able to enjoy their lives if we weren't eating them, (laughs) in a sense. So it is an interesting thing to think about because, you know, I grew up on a ranch and I've seen animals come and go. But if we weren't actually ranching, you know, if we didn't have uh, beef and chicken and turkey in the supermarkets, none of those animals would ever be able to take a breath of air and spend like a good year of their life becoming nice and plump and juicy for humans to eat. So (laughs) if you went completely against all of the eating of animals, those animals, you would never see them again because they wouldn't survive in the wild because they're domesticated. Yeah. So the other alternative, of course, is to hunt your game, which I did also in Idaho, elk and deer and fowl. Yeah. But uh, that can be time-consuming and expensive, depending on how lucky you are. <laughs> yeah. As soon as we get that life extension going, then, yeah, we'll have plenty of time for that. Sure, exactly. Well, actually, they probably have meat that they can grow just by itself, just grow the protein, the muscle tissue. Yeah, that's right. And it'll be just as tasty. So you don't have to grow the whole animal, just grow the muscle tissue. But then again, maybe those animals like being alive, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just the the end result. I guess we're all going to face that slaughterhouse in, in <laughs> some, some way or another. It's such a positive thought to We'll become worm food at some point. Yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> on that cheerful note. I don't think there's any vegan worms, actually, or vegan bugs that decompose the animals. <laughs> Vegan no. bacteria, no such thing. No, that's true. They're equal opportunity. <laughs> you know what? I just killed like millions of bacteria just now. Did you really? Yeah, I'm pretty evil. Well, you don't have to eat them. True. Let them live. <laughs> so should we shift gears and address Johanna's question? To yeah. Us that was uh, from a few weeks ago. She wrote in and said, Hey there, Kevin and Wes. Hope all is going well. I love your show. Keep the great information and experiences coming. My only request from you guys would be a resources page on the website. I find that I'm interested in many things you discuss, for example, doing sprints instead of the four to five mile run, but I am unsure of how to go about starting a routine. How long of a sprint and how many do you rest between each one or sets? Is there some kind of warm-up routine that you could share to give everyone an idea of where to start? And then she said she started to do some Google searching on the subject, but felt there was just too much information from all different places and, you know, from advanced to beginners and what have you. So she says, I guess the ultimate question for you two would be, is it possible for you to create a page on the website full of links to your favorite health, mind, and exercise websites, etc.? Or even a list of recommended reading would be cool too. Thank you guys for being awesome. Keep up the great work. You're welcome. Well, you're awesome too, Johanna. <laughs> yeah, there's a, well, let's go to your, what did you say? Yeah, I wrote back a quick note and said, 
Thanks for the suggestion, the questions, and kind words. We've been contemplating doing some tweaks to our site, and your idea will be taken under consideration. I think a resource page, or even an FAQ. I know we have an FAQ for basically telling people about our book and what it's about and what it's not about, and uh, addressing people's questions about that. But uh, a more general thing about all the things that we've covered on these podcasts would be cool, too. So Yeah, definitely. I mean, I defer a lot in this category to Mark Sisson. I like his style of workouts, and I haven't mm-hmm. done it that consistently, but he says, do your sprint workouts on occasion. And in the book, he says something like every seven to 10 days, do a sprint. So it's not like you're doing this, you know, even necessarily on a weekly basis, but to get them in um, at some point is really healthy. Yeah, there's some hardcore sprint routines you can do over uneven terrain and all that jazz. On Mark's Daily Apple, there's uh, one about this guy running through the forest. I sent her a link on that, Primal Blueprint Forest Sprinting. Yeah. And this guy goes all out. It looks pretty hardcore. So it's just a matter of what you want to do and how much intensity you want to bring to your body. But uh, definitely, you know, feel out the whole rest period thing. You don't want to overdo it. And just work your way into it and, and do what's comfortable and what you feel is, you know, building up your stamina and so forth. Right. And we were doing sprints uh, earlier, a couple months ago. And mm-hmm. I found that, uh, first of all, I needed at least a five-minute warm-up period where I was just jogging. And secondly, like even doing just four all-out 20-second sprints, it takes a lot out of me. I mean, to start out with that, that's plenty. Mm-hmm. Just doing four sprints and taking a minute rest in between. Uh, so definitely start out slow and you can always build up. I mean, you just add one each time or cut your rest by a few seconds every time. And you can vary it between like 50 yards or 100 yards. Right. Uh, I wouldn't really focus on much farther than 100 yards. I guess you could do 200-yard ones, but uh, that's really uh, getting more intensity. Yeah. Yeah. And how about that? I was going to bring up the guy, Erwan LaCour. Yeah, that does the, what is it? MoveNat. MoveNat, Yeah. Yeah, um, he was mentioned by Rob Wolf, and we're going to have him on an interview here pretty soon. I just I actually just heard back from him. I forgot to mention that to you. Uh-huh. But, um, he's over in France, right? Yeah, and he, he wrote back and said he'd love to come on the show, but uh, as long as we can put up with his thick French accent. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> sure, that'd be great. Yeah, so we're going to probably have a little chat with him here in the next few weeks or so. And his lifestyle is more about this sort of natural movement and doing your routines out in nature, and more of a holistic sort of training regimen, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Like climbing rocks and you know running, jumping over trees, and <laughs> all kinds of crazy Being stuff. Being chased by Bigfoot and yeah. uh, the abominable snowman over hill and dale. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. I guess you could just envision yourself being chased by a tribe of headhunters. That's a good idea. There you go. Flat out. I think about sharks when I'm swimming out in the ocean. That's a good. Okay. Yeah. Chased by sharks. Yeah. Out in the ocean, that's another one. Get your heart beating. True. Yeah. Well, you don't want to raise those cortisol levels, so it's just to uh, basically keep your body in uh, tip-top shape going over different types of terrain. Definitely. Rather than being on the dead mill. Yeah, the dreaded dead mill. Yeah. So the next one we wanted to cover was... Uh, Kevin F. Your namesake, yeah. Yeah. He says, hey guys, first off, I'd like to thank you for all your work. You guys are really awesome. Oh, we're, I guess we are awesome. We are full of awe, or at least the things we talk about are awesome. Yes. I'm currently studying biochemistry at the University of San Diego and hope to make it to medical school someday. I was absolutely fascinated slash inspired by the interview with Dr. James Carlson 
and hope to follow a similar path. He studied not that far from my house. I'm from Boulder, Colorado. My father is the co-owner of a natural health food store named Natural Grocers by Vitamin Cottage. It's comparable to Trader Joe's, although my father would probably claim to have much higher standards. If you are ever in town, you should definitely stop by and let me know. Basically, the main question I had for you guys was to help summarize the reasons why we choose to live a low-carb lifestyle. I have read Gary Taub's book along with a small handful of others, and it is very clear to me why I choose to not eat carbs. I understand the majority of the facts, studies, etc., but verbally conveying this idea to others, including family, is difficult for me. I'm able to say a lot about the topic, but I lack confidence when explaining this to others. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Thanks again for everything. I look forward to hearing back from you guys. All right. So, yeah, we've we've actually talked about this a little bit on a couple of previous podcasts. Mm-hmm. Bringing the argument to other people that are resistant to it, right? Yeah, and the whole idea of family and friends and nutrition and how it's like one of the most inflammatory topics that you can bring up. Sometimes it can be like a combination of politics and religion. <laughs> yeah. Because people are not just thinking it, they're eating it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it can up the ante in terms of the emotional charge, I guess. And I wrote back to him. I said, hi, Kevin. Thanks for the note. Great to hear you're immersed in biochem and may join the ranks of the Dr. Carlsons of the world in setting the healthcare industry straight. As far as a commonsensical elevator pitch for the low-carb lifestyle, you can try a couple related angles. One, it's the way Paleolithic humans ate, and our genes haven't changed much to adapt to a high-carb lifestyle. And the difference between Paleolithic and Neolithic, of course, is around the 10,000-year-ago mark. And so for a good million years of hominid evolution, we ate in a way that was not like the Neolithic times from 10,000 years to the present, which is basically modern agriculture. The grains, the dairy, the legumes, the sorts of things that have been domesticated and have a much higher carb content, especially in the process form. If you look in the grocery stores and all the center aisles and so forth, it's loaded with grain stuff, corn and wheat and sugar and all this stuff that's going to cause lots of insulin secretion, which was never available. And it's certainly not the sweets, the donuts and the ho-hos and all that stuff would be nowhere in sight out in the savannah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So then that was one. And number two is more carbs requires more insulin and more insulin spells bad hormonal changes, which may entail bad things like fat gain and difficulty losing fat because insulin is the storage hormone and it keeps your fat locked there as fat if you have high insulin levels in your blood. And a compromised immune system, as well as long-term disease such as heart disease and cancer. We've covered most of the reasons on many of our podcasts, and our episode 40 explored more of the Paleolithic stuff. So you can always direct them there, or there is a great clip that gives a humorous take on it from the filmmaker Tom Naughton, who we interviewed. And it's from his movie Fathead. And the title of this YouTube clip is Why You Got Fat. And it explains in a kind of a humorous way through cartoons, the way insulin works and fat storage works. Yeah. But I finished here by saying, I suspect that the others you are trying to convince are pretty entrenched in their higher carb eating patterns. So I understand the difficulty you're having. People have lots of emotions wrapped up in their food choices, to be sure. So it might help to explore why they are not open to the facts you've discovered. In any event, modeling the right way to eat can be a powerful tool of persuasion, too. Someone's bound to get curious at some point. Best wishes. 
So what do you think about that, modeling good eating versus and or actually asking them why they're so non-curious? Yeah, I think that's, that is a big factor, this curiosity. And it is interesting when you have all the science behind eating low carb or eating paleo or getting away from these uh, carbohydrates and you tell people that and they just say, oh, oh, great. Well, I love my whatever. <laughs> I love my bread or whatever it is. And they just continue to eat that way. It's interesting. So yeah, I think the best way to approach it is to be curious about why they are sticking to that, like what's driving them to keep eating that way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times it goes back to childhood, doesn't it? Childhood, exactly. And that's where the healthy mind part comes in. Mm-hmm. And information, basically, having the right nutritional information. And yeah. of course, you can get that the three pillars audio from us by going to freefitnessaudio.com. Just put in your name and email address, and we cover the basics of this process by which you can reorient it yourself to eating the right foods and getting on a healthy track with your own self-assessment and basically a happier way of life. Yeah. And of course, the whole eating thing, we, we all grew up in a culture and in households that didn't really understand why the high-carb way of eating was bad for us, why it's not good to skimp on fat. Yeah, and we're still suffering kind of a hangover of that now, even though that all that stuff came out of the 70s, all the low-fat craze. Mm -hmm. And now here we are, you know, 30 years later, 40, 35 years, whatever it is. And, dealing uh, with the aftermath. Dealing with the aftermath, and it's still there. And it, whatever the government promotes and whatever industries promote is just the absolute wrong way of eating. Mm -hmm. So if it's on the store shelves, is it fair game? Should we buy it? Like if we have kids, neither you or I have kids right now, but if we did or if we were kids when we were, would it be wise to purchase those things? Because remember we talked about this with Rob Wolf and his strategy is to Basically say parents need to sack up <laughs> and when they go to the store, buy the good foods and stock the house with those things yeah. rather than purchase all of the available possibilities of food that you find at the grocery store, which leads kids to wanting all those different types of foods, right? Yeah, exactly. And that actually ties in really well with our next question. Yeah, yeah. This is directly what we're talking about in relation to parents and kids. So our answer and discussion of the next question was so lengthy that we decided to split this podcast in half. Episode 43, the next podcast, will cover the second half of our discussion of these very important questions about kids and eating and how parents deal with these issues. So again, if you like this podcast, you can just go to iTunes. We have a link there in the show notes as well as on the website, healthymindfitbody.com. And you can rate and review the show. That's much appreciated. And you can comment on our podcast as well as blog and get into some more discussion there. Thanks for listening and take good care. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next week.